Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Los Angeles? This is me, Casey Diaz, host of the Shot Caller Podcast. Hey, um... It's an exciting month. We're going to be sitting in the entire month with law enforcement. And these are guys that have, you know, they're giving their, their lives over to protecting and serving our communities. Uh, with all the hoopla that's going out there, um, I just, uh, I think it's very important that we shine a light on, on them and what they do in their careers, in their lives. And, um, Today we have, we, we kick it off today, so it, it's awesome. Thank you so much, Los Angeles, for being with me and our, and our, and our guest. Um, I'm excited to, to start this month off with um, our special guest, uh, Ricky De La Torre. Thank you so much, brother, for being here. Thank you, uh, Casey, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, you know, we met through, uh, and, and I, I put this post out on Instagram uh, about uh, Ed. We're just going to call him Ed. That's his real name. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it just seems like Ed knows everybody. And so I, I uh, you know, I just uh, decided to be a little comical on, on the uh, IG uh, uh, post from yesterday. And uh, he just, this is how we met. Right. Um, he, he shared with me how you went and talked to the anchor group at uh, Shepherd uh, of, the, of the Hills. And you shared your testimony there. And right away, he called me and, and says, you know, uh, we just had a, a special guest over there. Uh, and he's a, he's a police officer who is going through a lot. And he shared his heart, and it has really affected our group. I think you would really enjoy him being on your, on your podcast. And, you know, we had lunch uh, at, a, at the fam- famous, uh, what is it called? Uh, Palermo's. Palermo's. Man, I, you know, I, I've been... I don't know how many times I've driven uh, past that place. I never turn to my left to to look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a staple there too. It's and, and you know we only had sandwiches. Um, everything else is good. The pizza's really good. Oh, Most man. of the guys go there, and, and and we didn't get the breads either. They do that, I think, at dinner. Okay. Um, they're they're called a pizza rosa, I think, and they're really good appetizer breads. Well, the the customer service there is. Oh, they're the best, yeah. dude. Uh, it, it is off the chant, off the charts, man. Yeah, yeah that's you'll see um, PD from all over, you know, sheriffs or LA it, or CHP. They all go there. It, it's got to be the safest uh, <laughs> restaurant yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> in Los Angeles, yeah, for they a, got good security. That's for, for sure. a fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was there, and I mean, it was just a sea of uh, law enforcement coming in and out of that place. Yeah, for lunch, and they had just opened, so yeah, I think guys time it on the on day watch to. To get there before it gets too crazy. If you're in the Hollywood area, you, you gotta you gotta go check it out. I'm actually I'm actually going there Saturday with my father-in-law. Are you gonna take? Yeah, them? yeah, I'm okay. gonna take them, man. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I don't know what you're gonna eat, but 
Yeah, definitely don't do a sandwich at night. Yeah, <laughs> try, an try actual the, dinner. Yeah, try yeah. Uh, the pizza's good. And I, I told you, if you have appetizers, their their wings are really good. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, I remember yeah. you mentioning that. Yeah, the wings that. are pretty good. Man. See, shout out to uh, this little restaurant in Hollywood, man. Yeah, I'm not sponsored by them or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're just putting them out there. <laughs> but but thank you for, for being here, man. Um, super excited to, to, to have you here and to talk about your story. Um, I, I think a, a great place to start off with, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of people that join the military. Uh, I think, uh, it is something that it's not just for everybody. Um, everybody's welcome to uh, obviously join, uh, some can't for you know, reasons. Uh, but I have a, a heart for those that have served because it's not an easy thing. And me and you were just talking about, you know, uh, uh, well, uh, our, the current news with uh, yeah, Ukraine and, and Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, and Russia. Uh, but I want to hear, where did you grow up? And then, then we'll go into the to the mili- your military life. And uh, we're also going to talk about uh, uh, cancer, which right. is something very big in your life right now. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, <clears throat> cancer takes over the the body um and and the life and either negatively or positively and by positively it's how you react to what's happening yeah um because cancer itself is all negative there's nothing good about it yeah um but yeah that's that's like my main focus um my kids number one well god and and my kids yeah family and and um you know i i never thought i would be the type to advocate for something like this, or I always hoped I never had to deal with it. Um, but I, I believe now I can see my purpose, uh, my true purpose for being here and, and what I need to, how I need to lead my kids. So, you know, it's all because of something negative like cancer. Yeah. So let's start off with where you grew up and, and, uh, you're an Angelino. Yes. Um, how was that in your early stages of, of growing up? So my mom and dad um, grew up in the Echo Park area. And, you know, we, my, my brother and I, um, and then my sister, she's seven years younger than I am. Um, but my brother and I were always at my grandma's house um, near Dodger Stadium. So, I mean, we were there, it felt like every week, every weekend. And I believe even when my brother was newborn my parents lived um in a like a duplex behind my grandma and my grandpa and um so my parents lived all over LA then eventually my mom um excuse me my grandma on my mom's side would live move to east LA so my brother and I would go to elementary school um and it was called Winter Gardens and it's off Olympic so we went to school there for a couple of years. Um, some of my cousins went there. And it was a cool apartment building where my grandma lived on my mom's side because um, the bottom apartment was my grandma, and on the top was my uncle, my cousins, and my aunt. And so that whole property was, your, was ours to play with. Your whole family. <laughs> and, and the front yard was basically an alley. Okay. But that's where we played. I mean, we did everything. We played tag and we would try to break dance and we did everything in that, in that, uh, little property, which when you pass by it now, it's 
tiny, but yeah. for us, it felt huge, you know. Um, but then from there, uh, I think in second grade, um, my family, we moved to Pico Rivera. And that's where I, I pretty much grew up. And, um, you know, I went to school in, in from second grade through high school. I went to El Rancho High School in Pico. Um, but that's where the bulk of my friends uh, grew up and are from. So, you know, we were always back and forth from L.A. Um, to Pico. And, and, you know, we my brother and I, we played ball. Um, he played baseball and football, and I played football and basketball. Um, but it was all there in Pico. Uh, so have you gone back to the, your, your old stomping grounds as a kid? And, and Oh, I go. So we still have friends that live in Pico Rivera okay. um, and, and the Whittier area as well. Um, so I live close by um, to Pico. I'm, I'm like 10 minutes up the freeway. So I love that area. It's yeah. kind of hard for me to leave that area, even though with everything going on, you know, yeah. if everything was perfect with my kids and I, I probably would leave California altogether, um, just with all the political climate and stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't like paying $6 a gallon for gas and, you know, things like that, <laughs> but my heart is in Pico. That's, yeah. you know, I go there and I, everything, every street I go down, I'm like, Oh man, I remember when we did this yeah. or we got in trouble over here and, we threw parties over there, and <laughs> oh man, yeah, Pico is is where, where like I mean, you can't get any more nostalgic for yeah. me than when I drive through Pico Rivera. Yeah, that's a that's how I uh, <laughs> I feel about like, growing up in Los Angeles. If you've been here all your life, you you know, as an adult, you go back to those places. Yeah. Um, for me, it was the MacArthur Park area, and I remember this. There was this little this staple of a. It was a swap meet, is what it was. Yeah, yeah. Called uh, El Piojito. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right across well, street. Everywhere around Mac Park is a swap meet now. Now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was, um, you know, you, you go down there and you go, wow, man, this is, as a kid, this is where I walked. And it takes you back, man. Well, when I'm around Dodger Stadium where my grandma lived, um, because that's the area I patrol now, mm-hmm. um, I'm always, if, if I can, I pass by my grandma's old house. Wow. And I'm always like, man, they messed this up. <laughs> that, uh, my, grandma, my grandpa had this type. And, you know, yeah. My grandpa was a landscaper okay. for the city. And so the one thing that you were going to see it when you looked at the house was everything was curb appeal, perfectly just manicured. Everything was tight. Yeah. And inside the house, now my grandma kept it even tighter. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember ever seeing that house a mess. Wow. You know, and that's how my grandma uh, on my mom's side was. Just a small little apartment, but all day long, if she just found things to clean, you know, and you had the plastic hallway mats with the little spikes. So you didn't know. <laughs> the clear one. Yeah. And you step on it. You step and, on it yeah. at night. <laughs> yeah. So that's a running joke. And she had plastic on the couches. Plastic so on the couches. Yeah. Mess up the couches. The clear yeah. plastic on the table. And that's it. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And but I mean, it was always something cooking. Yeah. And every she was always cleaning. And and that was in East L.A. um, where and and, you know, back then, it felt like there were more big family parties. Um, There was always a party to go to on the weekend, family party. And you look at it now and I have friends or even my house is it's not a huge house, but it's it's big enough to fit, you know, people in my backyard. And I feel now like, oh, you know what? We need to do it another house because this is not big enough for 
But back then we were in apartments yeah. and small houses and, you know. We made it work. Projects. I had cousins <laughs> that live in the projects. And, and we would go and the kids just go hang out, do whatever, leave us alone while the adults partied. And, you know, we would go run around. Nobody's wondering, you know. Now I don't even like my kids in the front yard without the gate closed. Isn't that a trip, man? Yeah, it's that, just different. It's just different, man. I, I, I remember I was seven years old when my grandma, and I think I've shared this on the podcast an episode or two. But I was seven years old when my grandma took me to school once. The following day, she said, you know how to get there, right? And, and then, they, you know, you look at your grandma and you're going, uh, yeah, I guess so. And you just walked. Yeah, my brother was my babysitter and he's under two years older than I am. Yeah, man. You know, my, my brother now is 44 and 42. But, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. If they were going on a trip, we stood of course, uncle yeah. or whatever. But everyday life, every, like, Monday through Friday. Yeah. Walk to school, walk back, yep. you know, take care of yourself. You know, my dad had to make sure the house was clean or, or it wasn't going to be good for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> My 13-year-old, my who, who, by the way, is taller than I am, which doesn't take much, you know, but uh, he, 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 we live in Burbank. And, the, you know, there's a liquor store a block and a half away from us. Right. And I remember the first time he, he, he said, hey, Dad, can I go to the, to the liquor store? To get some, you know, uh, flaming hot Cheetos or whatever, something, that, yeah, 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 something, and, and a soda, and and for a minute I paused and I went, "You want me to go with you?" And he looked at me puzzled, <laughs> like, "Nah, I could skateboard there," and you know, I, I let him, but man, that was like you're worrying the whole time, yeah, man. man. And we yeah. don't live like in a, you know, Burbank's still a little nice little area, yeah. But it's just the different timing that we're in right now. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, my best friend, um, you know, God rest his soul. But when we were best friends in second grade, my friend Jose, um, he'd come over on his bike and we'd take off. And as long as for my dad, we were back by the streetlights. By the time the streetlights came on, you know, we lived in a gated uh, condo community. The first when we first moved to to, um, Pico Rivera and... My brother and I would be going, we'd be around the community with our friends. And when my dad wanted us home, he would come out the house and whistle. And every, all our friends knew, oh, hey, your dad, your dad's whistling for you guys. And so we'd have to take off <laughs> and sprint back home. Yeah. But, I mean, there, every day it felt like we would go leave the community and, and to where our friends lived in, in the neighborhood by our school and stuff. Yeah. We'd go play ball. We'd go hang out. And, I mean, there was no cell phones, no, not even pagers at the time, you know. Yeah, that needs. Just come home and then, just come home, and then you knew everybody's phone number. <laughs> remember those days? <laughs> oh man, I don't remember my phone number. Sometimes <laughs> there's some memes out there that said don't don't, don't get busted now because you ain't gonna know nobody's you, phone. You can't call anybody, <laughs> you know. And it's like so true. You know, back then you knew your friends' phone numbers. Your your parents did. Oh yeah. You know, you knew. Oh, they're at Jose's. They'd call. Hey, is he there? Or yeah. You know, you're over there. You're over here, and and. Even you as a kid, you memorized your home phone number, your family, your grandparents. Like you knew you could pick up a phone and call whoever. And then you spoke to people. Remember that? <laughs> you know, hey, hey, Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so yeah. and so-and-so home. And, and there wasn't anything nervous about it. Now my yeah. son, he don't even like, if, if he don't have to speak a single word, he is happy. Yeah, it's just the hospital, everything's text. Well, in person, if he sees you. 
he just waved to you like real quick <laughs> and he doesn't want to say anything yeah, yeah. Or my daughter's the opposite she wants to talk to everybody well, she's a social <laughs> butterfly yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, i've seen a lot more kids that are more introverted like my son yeah than i mean i don't remember kids being like that growing up ah man we 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 talked to people and yeah, there was no fear to. i remember like your 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 parents would send you to the store and go hey uh And this is back then where your parents would send you and say, hey, uh, I need some cigarettes. Send you with a note. And you, you they would give him give the note and they give it to you. Yeah. And, and also, uh, there was also the vending machines that anybody could stick money in there and get cigarettes back then. Right. But, but even just knowing how to um, talk to the cashier and get to your communicate. change. And, you know, my kids don't like doing that. They don't yeah. like having a, whereas, like you said, my dad, he can give us five bucks and, We can go to 7-Eleven, and my brother and I with our friends would go get a Slurpee or nachos or whatever, and you knew how to pay for stuff at a young age and get your change and, you know. And 7-Elevens were actually uh, being run by teenagers at that time. Not only that, but, um, I mean, it was okay to go to a 7-Eleven and buy nachos and, oh, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Now I'm like, oh, you don't want to eat Yeah, you don't. it just <laughs> looks bad. But before it was like we lived on that. We lived on that, yeah. yeah. The, remember the I don't know if you remember the AMPM uh, burgers. The burgers, the, bur and the, ho the hot dogs. <laughs> the back hot dogs, then. yeah. I mean, it was all good. You didn't care. Right after know? school, boom, you yeah, go there and no worry about a lot of the stuff. Now that we worry about, I'm just like <laughs> it didn't exist back you know, then. Man. Chicken pox. Hey, so and so got chicken pox. Now everybody go play with so and so so that you get it too. Yeah. And now we don't want a cold. Yeah, and I, I'm not downplaying COVID. I know yeah, yeah, yeah. I know people that have had it bad yeah. with it. So, But what I'm saying is um, it just didn't feel like you, you shared a soda. Hey, you want to drink of my Gatorade? Or, you know, you drank from the, the water hose. Water and, hose. You know, it just water fountains roll. You had a stomach ache and you got crackers and a 7-Up. Yeah, that's it. 7-Up <laughs> is a cure-all. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Put some Vicks on. That's call it. it a day. <laughs> and, and, and that's what's funny. I look back and like, wow, why am I so scared about some of this stuff? Like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Man, we grew up with some solid stuff, man. And, and now, you know, you mentioned my uh, with cancer with my son. Um, you know, I, I worry a lot for him. And sometimes I have to check myself from worrying too much. Yeah. Because now you're, you there's a fine line between taking care of him and then you're overdoing it and you're not really allowing him to grow. Yeah. You know, I'm not allowing him to grow. And and that's now where I'm trying to like, okay. Um he when he went through the hardest part, um because he had two separate fights of cancer and chemo and radiation does a number on people. And he started this fight when he was nine years old, just before his tenth birthday. Wow. And um so it was okay. Take care of him. Anybody going through that, take care of him. I don't care if they're an adult child um yeah. cancer is not easy and and nobody should have to go through that alone because the way i've seen it make people feel just the the chemo the therapy oh man at certain points in my son's life the only way like if i didn't show you a picture the only way i can describe how my son looked um was that he looked like a holocaust survivor Oh man! Just skin and bones, just <coughs> you know, pale, weak. You can barely move ten feet. You know, and and now you know by the grace of God, he's doing better. But what I'm saying is, 
I worry for him. Yeah. You know, it's COVID and whatever else. Um, that's who I'm afraid for. Like for myself, if I get it, I get it. You know, yeah. I think I'm in decent enough shape that that shouldn't affect it. And I know everybody can react differently to these things, but um, my my worry is for him and, and then other kids that we see, you know, because you encounter kids in the hospital and you don't want to expose them to anything either. Yeah. So that's where I try to be cautious now. Um, but, but yeah, back in the day, it was, you know, oh, well, Just, you got sick. You know, yeah. You'll be all right. I guess you ain't coming out or, or you are one of two. <laughs> and even, I mean, how many kids in school are always wiping their nose oh, and their yeah. hands and, you know, it's, that 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 was just normal. I remember the first time I saw a little kid, uh, you know, uh, a bleeder, uh, a nosebleed, <laughs> and we were like, "What the heck happened to this guy?" Right? And I th I think I was like in maybe second grade or something like that, and the guy's nose just is like like a faucet, just <laughs> bleeding, and I'm I'm thinking this guy's gonna die from his nosebleed, man, because it was just that profusely. But you know, those are things that we saw back then. So, you, so your childhood sounds like a really good childhood as, as far as, you know, uh, it kind of sounds like mine growing up because it was an era where we played out on the street and we just had fun. There was no, I don't think we worried about dirt or, or just things, man. We just had fun. No, you, you didn't worry about that stuff, but also on a, on a bigger level, you didn't worry about kidnappers or, yeah. you know... Uh, like, yeah, you were aware of strangers or crossing the street because yeah. of the cars and stuff. But if if you lived in a neighborhood that where most of the kids knew each other, you knew who stood out. Yeah. And also, you knew whose house to go to because, you know, in just um the neighborhood of Pico that I grew up, we can walk in any direction and we had friends on this street or that street or we knew the parents. My my brother played baseball with a lot of these kids, and and my parents barbecued with their parents. Um, they would take us to practices when they couldn't. Um, you know, we'd sleep over their house or they'd sleep over our house, and that was more common. It seems like um, well, for me, my situation's different with my kids now yeah. because of my son. Um, the bulk he spent now a quarter of his life fighting cancer, so he hasn't had that childhood that the sleepovers the, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, the ability to do a lot of these things. But even then, we'd be sleeping over our cousins' houses, or you know, it, it, it just um, it just felt like there was more trust within a community. Yeah, you know, back then, even if gang issues were at a higher level, or or whatever you might have had um, for wherever each person listening grew up, you still had that sense of you know, I can leave my kid with the coaches and the team and yeah. he's going to be all right or she's going to be all right. Yeah. You didn't yeah. worry about all this other stuff. There was a lot of trust in the community. That's for sure. And, and, it, and here's the thing, man, um, families and the, the public at large had a tremendous trust to law enforcement. We, we, there was no, I don't remember one single adult bashing uh, police at that at that time I, I, you know they would yeah. come out and you guys had would have uh baseball cards for the kids you know yeah. you still had police officers walking um, yeah foot beats foot beats yeah and, and that was 
that was so cool and, and common at that at that time as yeah, well. Yeah, that's that's when my dad was on the job. Um, he he did thirty years. He got on, I believe, in eighty one or eighty two, um, and by that time he had my brother and I already. Um, so my dad's always been real real mature. He he's always taking care of business. Um, you know, because I look back and my dad was in his twenties when I was in elementary school, and I can't imagine having all that responsibility when I was his age. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I had my son when I was 28. And even then I was like, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. You know, I was still trying to get out of a lot of the stupid things that I did in my late teen years and early twenties. And, and that's what led me to the military was a lot of the mistakes. I didn't grow up like I'm going to defend my country and, you know, I had buddies join right out of high school, and I was like, why? Like, <laughs> why are you doing this? You know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it was something that I needed in my life because of the mistakes that I was making, and I wasn't listening to my dad and my mom warning me. And I always thought, I know I always thought, I mean, I wasn't conscious of it then, but I always I, I thought to myself, well, my dad will get me out of it yeah, because of who he was and his position, you know. But I never thought about how it made him feel when I would mess up because of who he is, you know? And, and like I said, I had, I had friends growing up where I did that some stood the right path. Some, you know, joined the neighborhood or whatever. And and they always knew who my dad was and they all respected him. And, and how you're saying back then people weren't bashing while you had stuff like, NWA and and certain songs that would yeah, but it wasn't like today. And, and that was that was like at the very um, and that was all because of of gangs and the, well, also the the little things that that did happen that were viral for that era for that era, and yeah. and we didn't have social media, which right, right. now you know news is at your fingertips. Yeah, I mean that's the reality of now. You know something happens and everybody knows within seconds. Right. We didn't have that. Uh, And I think that was a good thing for us not to have that. The other difference um, is something my dad's told me is that when he was on the job, they were on eight-hour shifts. So there was more officers, and they all knew each other. And they all got to know the community because they were here in their divisions all the time. Yeah. Patrol officers, you would go to roll call, and roll call room would be filled because on an eight-hour shift, you don't have as many days off. So everybody was there at the same time. Now in a 12-hour shift or a 10-hour shift, I might not see the next guy or the guy I work with today. I may not, or, or woman, I might not see them for a couple of weeks if our schedules don't match up. And that, that, that's got to make a, a difference, a big difference. In- it, it, it does, and also wears you down, I think. I lo- don't get me wrong. I like... Who you work with. Well, not only that, but I like the scheduling in that it allows me more time with my kids. Yeah, but if you go through a twelve-hour shift and you had court that day, or you had overtime the night before or that night, and this could be—I—I I know guys who work specialized units that they spend most of the day in court, then they go to work at night, and then they're overtime again that night. And wow! It's just by day two or three, you're worn out. You're already done, and now you have another day or so to go. Wow! And yeah, and and it makes guys use uh time off yeah or or sick days more frequently um like my dad one of his his uh 
one of the things that he told me that stays like really sticks out is that he didn't call in sick for like 20 years. Are you kidding? 20 years yeah, before he and, called in sick once. Right. And and he looks back and he's like, I should have because I lost that time. When you, when I retired, they didn't give me all back all of my time back. And wow. he goes, but it was a thing back then. It, you didn't call in sick. You just didn't, you know. And you might go to work and they give you what's called a TO where you have time in your bank and you can use that time for a day off. He used those or vacation days, mm-hmm. but you didn't call in sick. Now it's different because the shifts are longer. And whereas they had so many guys working per night and, and women working per night that they you'd go into a roll call and they might offer, hey, we have a TO available if you want it. Who wants it? And they'd go by senior uh, seniority. And then there'd be days where my dad said he'd go to work, get a roll call, and they'd, hey, do you need a TO? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'll take it. And then they go home. You don't get that anymore. So, so there's a, definitely a lot of changes. There's a lot of changes, and and some of it, a lot of it's. I mean, there's there's two two sides of the coin because you do yeah. get more days off per month, yeah. which are nice. Yeah, you just got to be able to recuperate if you had a long stretch. Yeah, and so I I typically work nights, which is usually around six p.m. to six a.m. And um, that first day off, you're if you had a three four day stretch working in a row. That first day off is recovery. I mean, you're just you're just to, resting. You're trying to if you don't have things to do, pick up the kids, go to court, things like that. I mean, you're just trying to like, okay, I need to decompress, yeah. you yeah. know. And who knows how the day went or the the stretch of days went? Did, yeah. You know, did you get into a pursuit? Did you get into use of force? A high know, speed chase. Anything, so but even then, even the some of the radio calls are just draining mentally because. You can't reason with everybody, yeah. and and you're a mediator for a lot of the calls you get sent yeah. to. Um, you know, it might be like I was telling you earlier, it might be a neighbor dispute. You yeah. know, where hey, I don't like this guy playing his TV so loud, and they're in an apartment with paper thin walls, so it does matter. But you can't make either of them happy. Yeah, you go knock on the guy playing the TV, and he's mad and telling you you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. And then you go tell the guy, and there's no compromise, and and you're there for 30 minutes, and you you turn out to be the bad guy, and you're the bad guy <laughs> for both, but also you're listening to two grown five year olds yeah. <laughs> argue over the TV, and and neither of them are gonna step down from their position, and you've got to solve that without getting a complaint, yeah. because I can, I've had people tell me that I enjoyed giving them a ticket. Because I might be like, okay, sir, ma'am, can you sign here? And I might be cordial, just trying to get through the, the ticket yeah. or whatever. And, oh, this guy enjoys it. And I'm going to call Internal Affairs and or the, the station or whoever. And, wow. and I'm saying it can be that small. It could be that small, yeah. And they got to take it. They yeah. got to take the complaint. Wow. And sometimes it stay in your packet, whether it's unfounded or, you know, they say, yeah, you did do this. It's still in your packet. And, and you know, it, it's, it's so important. The reason I, I, you know, I've been around you guys for quite some time, in the bat in the past for bad reasons, <laughs> and now, for some reason, man, uh, God's grace and favor has surrounded me with you guys on a different term, and uh, I get to see, I get to see the human side of that badge, and one of the things that that in conversations with the public at large, um, you know, I, I go speaking all over the country, 
And one of the things that uh, when this conversation co- happens and law enforcement is brought up, it, it's, it's, it, it's amazing that they, they actually will hear me because I have a checkered past. Right. When they hear me as an ex-convict saying, hey, that's not the case. These guys are just people just like everybody else, just like you and me. This career, this path that they've taken, it's a, uh, to me, it's a calling it, uh, more than anything else. They're human. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous job. It's, it's, a, it's sacrificial. And um, in, in my opinion, it needs to be respected. Um, and that's the difference today. And I know, like I said, I, I know guys and I have family or, or, or friends that they grew up with that checkered past as well. But dealing with the cops, it was a game. I'm trying to get away. You're trying to catch me. Yeah. But there was that respect still. Yeah. Now, different story. it's, it's different. And, and uh, you know, my situation is different right now. I left the field for my son. Um, I've been blessed. Work has blessed me with the opportunity to to find a job that I can still um, take care of my son for his appointments and stuff. But my friends that are still out there, and and one of them was my partner for about ten years. Um, they tell me how just how different it is, and it everybody from all walks of life think it's okay to not comply anymore. Um, and that's where the problems happen. I don't know if you saw recently, uh, sheriffs got into a shooting at a, I think a Walmart in Fountain Valley. Yeah. And it, the guy was not complying. He went in, stole stuff and they ended up shooting him because he had a gun. Well, a lot of people are going to say, well, why didn't they do this? Why did they do that? And yeah. it's like every call we go on where the guy is fidgety or the woman is fidgety. We're in our head already. Cause we've seen so many mm examples how it goes that way yeah you're you think you're taking this guy out for maybe a citation or just kicking him out and then next thing you know you're fighting for your life because the guy's going for his gun yeah well obviously he don't care he's gonna do whatever he has to do and you don't know if this is a third striker you don't know somebody that's gonna face a a, you know know, a life term yeah or you know i have so many law enforcement friends now and one of the things that that they've, they've shared with me is that when they pull somebody over they don't know if they this guy has has just you know xed out his wife or buried some. They don't I, know that. Uh, yeah. It's not a standard, you know. Pe- people want uh, the media likes to say routine traffic stop. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing routine, routine about, about it, right? Any traffic stop. That's right. I can pull you over ten different times and determine, or, or based on whatever your however your day went, you're gonna act react differently to me. Yeah. You might have had a great day and been like, hey, officer, I'm so sorry. I did run that stop sign and, and be totally cool. And, and I might let you off with the warning because, okay, you understand what you did. Yeah. You know, I warned you. It's about safety. Okay, on your way. Yeah. Or you might have just had a fight, like you said, with your wife. Yeah. And now you're just ticked off. Ticked off at the world. <laughs> and that's going to – I've had that people come at me a certain way and – after they calm down, you know what? I'm sorry. This just happened yeah. or that happened. And I get it, yeah. you know. And 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 this was even during my son's first uh, cancer fight. And it's like, I would respond to that hospital, Children's Hospital in LA, um, for calls. And 
while my son was up on the fourth floor. Oh, wow, man. You know, and, and when people would say, I, I, I had been to several domestic calls there at the hospital, and I felt like that's when I first really started feeling like, okay, now I can relate to these people. I need to talk to them. I yeah. need to talk to them. Not my partner, not a sergeant. I need to talk to them because in out of this whole division right now, Northeast, only I can relate to what they're going through because their child is sick for whatever reason yeah. in the hospital, and that's not where they want to be. Meanwhile, me being in uniform, I want to be upstairs with my son. Late, even if he's asleep, I want to be next to my son. Um, but I would be able to say, hey, look, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I know what you're going through. I know you're scared, you're frustrated, this, that, and the other, but actually mean it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where people don't think that we have things going on when we go handle your own personal life. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. There are too many cops that shouldn't be cops. I'll say and do the wrong thing. But a lot of things happen too, just because it was a mistake. Yeah. We don't get a lot of training as much as we should, you know, whether it be hand to hand combat or just weapons related. We, we do what's in a budget and almost 10,000 cops in LA. We're not going to be trained perfectly. Yeah. And, and, as frequently as we should. And what the example I give people is you have athletes getting paid millions of dollars and all they have to do is train every day. Yeah. That's what a lot of them do. They train every day for their sport. Yep. But they'll still go in the game and mess up. Yeah. Drop a ball, fumble, fumble. miss a shot. Why is that? And they're training every day. Shouldn't they be perfect? Yeah. But they're not. They're human, right? They're human. And they have fights with their significant others. Yeah. Or they have a bad day here. Or they get called out in them. It affects their day. Yeah. Well, why can't we be affected? Yeah. Why can't their officers just... And it's not... We're not intending to hurt anybody. A lot of these things you'll see, the officers doing everything they can to just keep it at a minimum and it escalates. Yeah. But nobody wants to hear that. And the media is not going to push that. So yeah. you deal with it. You deal with it, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and this is why, like, uh, uh, on this podcast, we have God has really blessed me in creating a bridge where I get to interview you guys and interview guys like me from my past, and we we get to sit down at a table just like this and really put a voice behind that badge and and, and what that what that means to you guys, you know, it, there's a, a questionnaire that I sent you. Uh, last night and, and, and I got it back and you almost didn't make it to, to into law enforcement. No. Yeah. Um, and we were getting that to that earlier. Um, so I started DJing back in high school and, and in high school I had, um, I wasn't like super smart, but I had honors classes and, and my main problem throughout my entire life is, is I can get lazy if I'm not interested. I don't want to do it. And so, and I think that's a guy thing, <laughs> probably. But I knew people that were just on top of their schoolwork and were like almost like had anxiety over their grades. Where I was just like, well, in honors classes, if you get a C, it's a, it's a B. If you get a B, it's an A. You get a grade point higher, right? So I was like, well, if I get a C, it's really a B. So why am I going to go for any? You know, just I did just enough to get by. Yeah, yeah. And I played football. And I played basketball. Um, of the two, I was better at football, but I loved basketball more. But it didn't matter. I worked hard at both. Um, you know, my basketball team knew that I was going to be 
I prided myself on defense, both in both sports. I was a safety in football, and I was um, a small forward, power forward in basketball. But I prided myself on stopping the other team's best player, or getting rebounds, or getting dirty and going out. If if I had to enforce something that another player took a cheap shot at, I was going to be that guy. That's the role I wanted. Yeah. You know, more like a Dennis Rodman type as opposed to a Michael Jordan score type. Even though Michael Jordan was my idol growing up, I I like playing more like a Dennis Rodman style. Okay. Um so I did all that and and then eventually DJing came in, which is something I uh, had always loved cuz a cousin of mine, an older cousin of mine, he he DJed. And I always used to love watching him mix and stuff and he he would end up in the future teaching me a lot about DJing. Well, I refused to try to play sports in college. Um, my coach at the time had letters coming in for me for football. Um, I didn't want to leave California. I wanted to stay home and party. And so I went to Long Beach State after high school. I went there, but I didn't really go. You know, I was there talking to um, anybody who can get me into clubs or events to DJ. And then I, was, I started to work a lot of different jobs. Um, so I would have two, three jobs at a time with DJing in school. Uh, eventually that led me to just kind of burning the candle at both ends and worrying more about where I'm going to party this weekend as opposed to what my actual priorities were. And so two incidents in my life um, when I was younger. Once, one day, uh, a couple of friends and I went to the mall and I had called in sick to one of my jobs so that I can go hang out with my friends. And I was in the Montebello Mall, and um, I was lagging behind my friends. So I was about 20 feet behind, and I was just walking, looking in stores. And walking towards me were two guys about my age, um, but they looked like they were from a neighborhood. And, and I took note, but I, I didn't pay attention until one of them, when they walked by, bumped my shoulder. And <clears throat> that turned into a big old fight. And... Um, my friends, they thought I was by myself, so they started to jump me, fought with these guys. My friends came in. Well, at the end of it, um, we beat up those guys pretty bad. And cops were called, and both sides said no, nobody was going to press charges, but everybody was kicked out. You fast forward, I got a job um, where I would be driving for a Budweiser distribution company, and my girlfriend at the time worked at the mall. Well, I wasn't supposed to go back to the mall. So her working there, I went to pick her up. And also, I started this new job the next day. And I needed a red polo shirt. So I went in thinking, I'm just going to go in, buy this shirt, and get out. Well, they recognized me. This was like six, seven months later. I had a oh, hat on, way. a hoodie. And I was just like, get in, get out. And as we're walking out, the security stopped me. And, and I thought to myself... Okay, I can bounce and run, or I can just be cool and comply. And and I said, okay, yeah, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, this, that. Well, they called Montebello PD, and they didn't want to take me, but it was a private person's arrest. And yeah. so that was um, my first time getting in, like, you got to remember, my dad was a cop. Yeah. I was scared, bro. Yeah. I was like, man, my dad's going to get mad. So I didn't even tell my dad. My girlfriend at the time picked me up. And took me to work. I got out, released from Montebello Station, like at 
four in the morning and went straight to work. So how old were you at this time? I was like 18, 19. Wow. Yeah, I was like 19. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I was about 19. So she takes me straight to work. I didn't tell my dad. And um, I got there just in time. And the guy training me, who's st- he's a good friend of mine still today. He's a sheriff now. Um, I get there and he's like, you all right, bro? You know, you look like you're in a hurry. And I was like, oh, man, I just got out of jail. <laughs> what? <laughs> he, he looks at me like, are you going to be a problem for me? And I was like, yeah. no, no, there's a long story and this and that. And so, but um, that guy, he's cool. He, he, you know, my brother would end up being his roommate for a while after oh, that. Okay. Yeah. And he sold me his old S10 and he, we go way back with that yeah, guy, yeah. but. But, I mean, that was my first impression yeah. to him. And then um, fast forward about a year, I'm working, still doing the same thing. And um, my best friend, Jose, had went to the Navy, and he was on leave. He was home. And I hadn't been able to see him. He had been home for, like, a couple of days and hadn't been able to see him. At this time, my parents were in New York. Um, my little sister played in the school band, and they went to Carnegie Hall. So oh, wow. yeah, my parents went with her for this trip. My brother and I stood back. I had work in school and, you know, I, I was like 20 or whatever. And um, so my friend calls me one night. I had other plans and I was going to stay home and I had work the next morning. But he calls me. He's my best friend. He's like, hey, man, my the girl I'm talking to is coming over with some friends I don't have anybody here. Do you mind coming over? And so I was like, okay, you know, I haven't seen him. And I, I reasoned myself into going. Yeah. And we had a couple of drinks at his place. And then we would go down to their dorm room at, at the school. They went to uh, Loyola Marymount, which mm-hmm. was a good drive away from our Pico Rivera to. Yeah, it's, that's a. It's, it was nice about 45 minute yeah. hour drive, right? <clears throat> well, we were there for a long time. And, um, about three in the morning, I go, hey, man, I got to go. I got to work in, in you know, a few hours. So when we went over there, he sat in the back with her, but they had taken beer with them. And I had, through the night, maybe three beers. Um, and this is over from, like, 9 p.m. to, like, 3 in the morning. It was, you know, I wasn't drunk. Yeah. Well, on the way home, I fell asleep, and um, I dozed off. And when I woke up, I was about to run into the back of a car, so I swerved, lost control, ended up going straight into the center divider on the 105, and if it wasn't for the airbag, I would have went through the windshield onto the other side of the freeway. Oh, that would have, yeah. Yeah, I would have been done, and um, I woke up on the passenger side floorboard facing up, and it was all smoky, cars totaled, and um, a lady, I remember... She ran across the freeway to get me out of the car because I was perpendicular to the carpool lane. So no if somebody way, had, and this was like three thirty in the morning or whatever. Somebody had been paying attention. Oh, that uh, yeah. would have been so it there again. Were several things that yeah. that could have pretty much ended my life that night. Um, well, I woke up the next day handcuffed to a hospital bed. Well, next day, I should say yeah. hours later or whatever, and my grandparents, my my dad's parents, uh, standing over me, and I had a neck brace on, and you know, they said that they had um, cited me for DUI because the beer bottles in the back, that when we went over there, 
and they said they had asked me there at the scene if I had been drinking, and I said, yeah, and I had the open containers. So it turned into, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's not a DUI. So I, anyway, I had my year, my license suspended for a year of fines, plus I totaled my dad's car, and he was maybe a payment away from paying it off. Oh, no. And then I had to tell him what happened when he got back from New York. This happened when he, they were gone. Yeah. So and I remember my dad calling after that happened and before he got home and my brother talking to him and he can sense in my brother's voice because he, he asked my brother, is everything okay? And my brother's like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. But only my grandparents, I think my uncle knew what had happened at that point. So yeah, my grandpa, this was one of the only times my grandpa and I like really talked about just one-on-one him and I. Mm-hmm. And he told him, look, you have to tell him. Like, I'm not going to tell him for you. I'm going to be there with you, but you got to tell him what happened. Oh, man, that was the toughest. I, I've been spanked, and my dad's yelled <laughs> and done things, punishments. And yeah, I was telling you, he he's made us do chores. I mean, we painted the house twice in, in a week. <laughs> my brother and I did because my mom didn't like the color of the first paint job. And disappointing them like that and seeing their reaction there that was harder than anything that i ever had to do as far as to that point in life yeah you know it was like man because they they did so much for us and i always felt oh my my dad's gonna get us out of this or if i got in trouble or whatever and we got lucky a lot of times growing up you know i look back on things that i did and 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 a lot of it was just goofing off and yeah but we got lucky man i mean I've heard people say, like, the difference between one person who's been arrested and other people is that the other people just didn't get caught. Yeah. But we've all done stupid things, yeah. you know, and, and so I try to take that to police work um, and how I deal with people. And it's not perfect, but but that led me into the Army. Um, I dropped out of school after that. I, I had to take the bus to a job that I had to get waitering. Um and that was in Arcadia. You remember Johnny Rockets? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my brother was a manager there at the time, and he got me in. But I was taking the bus from, at the time, Whittier to Arcadia, which was like a two-and-a-half, three-hour bus ride. And then when I'd get out late, I'd have to call people for a ride home. <clears throat> one of my good friend um, friends, David, uh, he's the one who introduced me to Jack Hibbs. Okay. Um, he, he and I were talking the other day about how he remembers picking me up from work. Cause I didn't have anybody else, you know, to pick me up and it was embarrassing, bro, yeah. to go from where I was at, you know, in high school, doing well, playing ball to that now working just whatever jobs I'm out of school. I don't have a license. My, my dad is obviously not happy with me. My parents are not happy with me. Um, that's where, you know, I, for a little while I drank a lot after that and then I just was like, ah, man, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And then my brother had his own issues going on. Um, and a buddy of ours, a guy he graduated high school with, had joined the military. Not tell, He didn't tell anybody. He went as a linguist. And um, when he got out of basic, he told my brother, like, hey, you might want to think about doing this. Plus, 9-11 had just happened. Um, my brother, I was telling you, he's a, he's a history buff. He, he reads everything. Um, 
you know, he started talking about going in, joining. I mean, he was pretty much set on doing it. And I would go with him to the uh, recruiter's office, and I would just sit back and listen. And then when it came down to him taking the ASVAB test, I was like, hey, I want to do it too. And they were like, whoa, you're going to do it too? Like, they were shocked because I wasn't being recruited. I didn't tell them up until that point. I never told them, oh, I'm thinking about it too. And so we told our dad that, hey, we're both going to go. And and he was happy. I mean, they were, they were, I think they were relieved. My mom was scared because of everything with 9 11. Of course, yeah. But I, that was the first time in a long time that I saw my dad, like, finally, like, uh, he can breathe because we were taking a better step compared to what we were just partying. Yeah. That's all we cared about doing, my brother and I. My brother started a fraternity at Cal State LA to party. <laughs> like, he founded it. Him and his friends yeah. founded a new fraternity just so that they could Just can, so they could party. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just wanted the next club or event to DJ, you know. You know, I, I think that when, when we become adults, right, um, and we look back, and then we look at the sacrifices that, that our parents um, took, did, the most the most impactful thing for us is they they went through all that and we disappointed them here or there and i think that that kind of gets to us more than anything else yeah uh, cuz you know especially they, they they provided they were good people and and at the age you don't see it you don't see it man you no. know until it's too late sometimes yep. then you're like oh man i should have listened because my dad warned us all the time drinking and driving this and that yeah, party, of course who you hang out with i mean it was just but at that age it was like okay okay i know i know and that's where i see it's funny now when i go on radio calls or talk to other kids and i'm telling them things <laughs> and they're looking at me the way i probably looked at my parents yeah. you know so it's all learning stuff but all of this stuff the, the type of coaches I had that were tough, that our parents were okay with them screaming at us. My dad was tough on us. Um, to the military at that time, they were still tough in boot camp. I think all of that was God's way of preparing me for my son's fight. Because you can't be weak in the mind to handle something like that. And I've always known if I can be a mess up, I could screw up things all the time. But the one thing I can do is get through tough things, whether it's, you know, in the, in the military, they call it getting smoked. When someone messes up, everybody gets smoked. And we, we, we had um, either a sand pit or a pit full of sawdust. And they would take you out there and, I mean, you would just do endless exercises and that they called it getting smoked. So it'd be like, okay, let's go, smoke pit. And you don't know how long it's going to last. And that, that is, to me, one of the harder things when you don't know how – there's no time on the wall. <laughs> no time limit. <laughs> you don't got to go to work. You don't got – you're at work, and they have nothing but the whole day to do whatever. To keep you there. And, you know, you're just there at their mercy. And, and then even with football practice, you knew more or less what time it was going to end. But back then, parents allowed coaches to be tough on you. See, now I believe the picture that you sent me. Which one? <laughs> With the burpees. Oh. <laughs> so, that, that explains everything. So I photoshopped my face on the rock's body and I sent it. Because he asked for a headshot. And, and I said, uh, will this work? <laughs> and, I, and I was very close to putting it up there. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm more like, um, 
if you were to compare me to the rock i'm i'm more of a pebble (laughs) 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 yeah no um but you went to combat as well yeah i saw combat in iraq um from 2003 uh i i got there september 2003 and we came back the next september in 2004 um so still it was about six months after the initial invasion um my unit we got sent and um yeah it started off you know the first week or so we were in kuwait and we're getting prepped then we drove up and i think it was the third day we saw our first um real combat experience and and then from there on when we were actually doing missions um we would go between um where we were stationed in Ramadi um up to uh, Habania, which was between Ramadi and Fallujah. And that area at that time was considered the Triangle of Death. Um, and IEDs were starting to really take form. And they were doing, when we got sent up there, we were learning about them. But they would evolve over the year that we were there. And we do different things that, I mean, we drive five miles an hour on the road at 3 a.m. looking for bombs in the road. And you want to talk about a pucker factor where you're just on edge the whole time. And every little thing you see, you think, oh, that could be a bomb. That could be a bomb. Um, And and you're sleepy. You're tired. You're trying to fight it. At the same time, you're hoping everything you pass doesn't blow up. Um, That was kind of a I mean, yeah. I pulled my trigger out there and it's a different thought. Yeah. But when you don't, like, I don't know, the anticipation of something, that's a different feeling to me. Yeah, Th- Those missions, we'd call them ID sweeps. Um, and, and back then they were hiding them in dead animals and piles of trash. Um, then they started to evolve where they would dig them under the road um, or hide them behind the, um, the metal uh, guardrails. Um, they, they were just doing different things to So to he just didn't them. know. He didn't know. And our whole mission, so say infantry was going to come in and do a bunch of um, building searches in three days or whatever. Our job would be to go clear the route and make sure there was no bombs. And then we would secure the route that they were going to take in and out. Those IED sweeps, I mean, you don't see that on History Channel. Yeah, 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 they don't show you that part. But I, I can tell you that was some of the toughest not only because it was just scary and, and you don't know what's going to happen, but it's tedious it, yeah. to, to stare at the dirt at night over hours and not know driving what that is slowly and not know. And, and that can weigh heavy. And back then it was just a lot of complaining about it. Oh man, I'm tired. This, that, and the other, but you know, inside in your head, you're like, Oh, like something yeah. doesn't look right. And, and, you know, cause we've had IEDs explode on us and, you know, one one in particular was closer to us ending our tour. Um, we were out headed out to this mission. I can't even remember. It was it was a big nothing the mission itself, but the route we took out there, um, the road curved, and on that curve, they daisy chained three IDs, meaning they tied together three separate bombs. And as our wingman who was lead took the turn, and we came behind them. They detonated the IED. And we, our trucks were in the middle of, of the, the explosion. 
You and got to see all this. Well, not see, feel. I mean, yeah. I felt all the debris and all the rocks hitting me and, you know, got sent over. I remember getting sent. I was in the turret. I was on a, we were on Humvees. Okay. And I was sticking out of the gun. So I was standing up and then my sergeant was sitting to my right and our driver to the left. And I mean, you can hear everything hit the truck. And the first thing was everybody got their body parts, like checking, yeah. make sure you make sure your truck is okay. Your and, and your your wingman's truck. The only thing that happened, and this was after my best friend had passed. Um, so to me back then, I remember thinking that he was watching over me. Um, the only thing that happened to any of our trucks was our wingman had a shrapnel go through the gas tank and he had a gas leak, so we had to tow him out. Not a scratch on any of us. Wow, Six man. of us through that blast. And we went back and stood in the crater. I, I can't even tell you how wide the crater was, but it was about to my, my waist, and I'm 6'1", when I stood in the middle of the crater. It was that big. So I mean, it had the potential. Obviously, the potential oh, to take you at out. At least yeah. one of us should have been should have been gone, hurt or gone. Yeah. And, I mean, and and that was like, I want to say it was um, a few months from coming home. So you kind of get a little complacent. You're thinking, you know, yeah, I'm about to go back home. Right, and that woke us up and reminded us that <laughs> you know, quick, these guys are not going home. Yeah, these guys are here, you know, and they're yeah. trying to not let us go home. So it, things like that. You know, back then, there wasn't all this PTSD awareness. Yeah. You know, it, it, I remember getting home and going to a VA, filling out a questionnaire and, and answering a lot of yeses to the questions. I never heard back. And I thought, okay, maybe something, because I went, I remember going to complain about stomach issues. Um, no matter what I had ate at the time, it would mess with my stomach. And I don't know why. I don't know if it was because I was over there or whatever. But um, all, all they did was say, um, they gave me, I, I can't remember what they gave me. It said it was probably just because I was being out there for so long. But then with the stress issue, um, they never responded to that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess, I guess, I'm, good. I guess I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go out and, and, and do my thing in the real world. Um, but when we got back home, um, a lot of us got into a lot of fights. Um, I remember you telling me that um, for like the first 10 years when you were released, you felt like you were still there. Yeah. That first year or so after we got home, I would have nightmares about losing my rifle. Wow. And I'd wake up in my room, especially in the barracks uh, back in Kansas. That's where I was stationed in Fort Riley. Um, I'd wake up, scat like, all over my bed, fall on the ground, trying, trying to, to find my rifle. Because out there, it's everywhere you go. Yeah. You know, you, you sleep with it next to you. You know, if you're out out on a mission or if you're even back at, at camp, it's next to you and, and you're ready to roll. Yeah. You know, there are so many times where it's like, all right, game on, <clears throat> wake up, we're out, we got to go. You get your stuff on and, and you're ready, you know. All of a sudden, they take all that away from you. And you're, you're home trying to be. You're a civilian. Yeah, and when we got home, all they said was, um, you know, you got 48 hours, stay in the barracks, don't do anything stupid, you know. And then they had these little classes and stuff, but the whole time you're just like, okay, let us leave so we can go drink, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't like therapy. Yeah. It, it, I, I mean, I'm not going to blame anybody because who knows? I mean, yeah. 
this was still kind of new. Mm-hmm. Now it's better. The VA is better. Um, dealing with them is a lot better than when I got home. Yeah, I, I've spoken to a lot of counselors and stuff like that uh, from uh, friends of mine. Yeah, the counselors there have actually helped me a lot. Um, yeah. And and the can- counselors that I enjoyed the most are the ones who were there. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the ones who never went over are still helpful. Yeah. Um, so I, I recommend now if, if, if people have issues that don't be above getting therapy or yeah. counseling, it, it, it does help. Especially helps when the person you're talking to doesn't know you because there's no bias there. Yeah. You know, and yes, they want they care for you, but they're truly listening to what you have to say, to what you have to say. And they can diagnose you based on what they hear as opposed to what they already know. Yeah. You, see, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It, it, so when, when I've met people on the job, encounter them on, you know, homeless vets or whatever, um, you know, I've, I've I've taken homeless vets or vets that have mental issues to the VA um, and uh, off the 405. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember the West LA one. I've dropped them off there multiple times. Where it's like, okay, let me go get you. Let's go get you help. And then I can relate that to the people I'm dealing with. And so I look back and I'm like, I never planned on being a cop. Um, I, I I went into it because it was something like, I, oh, well, I can probably do this. Uh, especially after dropping out of school. I didn't have a degree. It was like, okay, I'm coming out of the military. Um, but now I look back and, and, and you think about, your life experience. If I would have been a cop at 21, 22, I would have blew it. I would have messed up. I would have been one of those cops on on the news. On the news, yeah. You know, and and not to say that all those cops were young and and didn't know what they're doing, but I would have. What I'm saying is, at that age, for me, I would have been more likely to mess it up. Yeah. You know, and getting on at 28, and I just had my son being born. I had just went through combat and and the army. And I had all these other mistakes. Well, that's all preparation for dealing with people. Yeah. You know, if if you don't know what someone's going through and you're going to somebody in their worst moment at that time, they don't want to listen to you. Yeah. You know, and, and, and not everybody, <clears throat> but if you go to a domestic violence that the couple is in their 40s and have been married 20 years, they don't want a 22-year-old telling them how to solve the yeah. problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't want me either, but yeah. I'm more likely to be able to say, well, this is what I've been through, especially custody issues, you know? Um, I have two kids. My son, is his mom is Carolina. My daughter, Gianna, her, his, uh, her mom is Raquel. Two separate relationships, okay? And it wasn't always smooth. Um, and, and a lot of that was the way I dealt with stuff. And, and I made a decision a long time ago to stop blaming them for everything and to start, how can I improve this? And with their help, it's to the point now where I can be around both of them, no issues. My daughter's softball practice, I sit next to her mom and we talk about things we need to do for her or things going on. I, I go to my son's mom's house and I can stay there while she goes and runs errands and take care of my son. Um, and people have asked me in the past, how do you do it? I have my girlfriend that I can take her around either one of them and there's no issues. 
Um, and there, it's not always been that way, yeah. but it's been worked out where I have people ask, how do you, like, once you stop blaming them, no matter who is at fault, yeah. you start looking in and saying, how can I improve this? Yeah. What do I need to do to make my relationship better? Because what I've always told myself is don't be a radio call. It sounds simple. Yeah. But it's easy to lose your patience or your temper when you're fighting over a child because you both want that child to like you and see that you're right. Yeah. You know? And so you lose focus on the fact that you shouldn't be trying to prove anything. Right. Right. Just be better for the child. Yeah. Both. You know? And, And so I've had to do a lot to tell myself, okay, don't get mad at this. Don't get whether you got to take 10 minutes and yeah. take a breath or and then deal with whatever the issue is. Um, and, and that's a learning process. Oh, it it, takes it's years. Not, yeah, it takes years. It yeah. takes time. Some people are lucky enough to have it down right away, but um, my son's cancer fight was a big reason why everybody just said, okay. And, and to their credit, my girlfriend's credit, my family, um, my children's mothers, everybody just said, okay, he needs help right now, yeah. and and he needs us to be there. Yeah. And a lot of the drama stopped. And, and and it has to because it's not about you; it's about him, right? Um, and and what's good for him, and, and you know, you went through combat, and and then you going through through this combat uh, of yeah. cancer, and and you're you're very big on on uh, uh, and hands on in what's going on with uh, AJ and and and. Tell us about that. What I mean, the initial news has to be. I mean, I don't. I I can't say I I understand. There's I haven't gone through that. Uh, I hope I never do. But I mean, as a parent, I have three kids. Right. I don't know how I would handle that. And, and I mean, this is the place where you're at. You get the news, and then what? I was lost. Uh, Casey, I, I didn't, um, I cried, hmm. you know, I didn't cry right there in front of him, but when I, 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 I made a couple calls. So my son didn't just like, it, it's weird. He started throwing up sporadically for no reason. And he was nine at the time and he had been in jujitsu for about a year. And so he looked like a healthy kid. Um, my family and I, we took him and my daughter on a trip to Cancun that October for my mom's retirement. And then it was also my girlfriend Mireya's birthday in that same time. So we went and everything was all good. And then the next month he's throwing up for no reason and, and there was no other symptoms. Um, they tried to tell us initially that it was just viral, it'll go away. But being parents, and this is the one thing I'd like to stress to people listening. If you feel something is wrong and the doctors are telling you it's all good, keep pushing. Um, because nobody knows your child better than you. Yes, they're better with the medical and the treatment. But sometimes, just like cops or whoever else have bad days, they have bad days. And sometimes they're just like, you know what? It's probably just this. And they're also probably just trying to make you feel better. 
And I had a lot of problems seeing something like this when this first happened because I was upset that they would just blow it off. Um, but we took them back. That Thanksgiving 2017, um, he was going to school that following Monday. And I had him with me. And he ate Cheerios that morning. And he was excited to go to school because he was uh, going to start playing an instrument in the band. And he wanted to go to school. And he had his suitcase with his instrument in it. And he was ready to go. And um, he threw up. and But there was no fever or nothing else accompanying it. So I called his mom. I said, hey, he threw up again. I'm going to take him to you. Or do you want me to take him to school? Because he's okay now. Or do you want me to take him to you? She said, no, I'm going to take him back to the hospital. I said, okay. I had to work that night. So I was going to come back home and take a nap, get myself ready, take a nap, and then go to work. Well, I took him to her. And she said, okay, I'm going to go to um, the ER and see what happened. I said, okay, let me know. So I take off. And on the way home, just something inside of me, bro, just you got to be there telling me you got to be there. Call in sick. You got to be there. Go to work. after. Find out he's okay. Then go to work after. You don't need to sleep today. Okay. So I call her. Hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to meet you there. So we went over. I went over there. Met him there. They had been in the the, the room uh, for about 30 minutes at this point. And we were there all day. They did all kinds of tests. Um, but thankfully, there was a young pediatrician, young female Asian um, I don't even know if she was in her early 30s. She was thorough. She did every test, spent over an hour with him. And then finally, she's the one who ordered the CT. And that's, they they came back. His, his mom went with him to do the scan. It was about 45 minutes. And then they came back and the pediatrician was, you can tell that she had something bad to say. And then Multiple doctors came and it was quick. You've been in the hospital. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. This was quick. As soon as the CT scan was done, and, you know, my son's already like, why am I here so long? Like, what is all this? Yeah. You know, because he was only nine at the time. Oh, my goodness. Man. Yeah. And, and, um, we just kept reassuring him. And then finally they pulled us aside to show us the scan. And the, uh, original tumor was the size of a tennis ball. What? So you take a tennis ball and put it in a nine-year-old's head. And that's the mass we saw initially. His little head on the on the image and then just a just like a, a shadow, you know, it was on his cerebellum. The the cancer ended up being medulloblastoma. And um yeah, that he got airlifted to children's hospital and she went with him. So it took him about 15 minutes to get there from Kaiser and Anaheim. Um, I had to drive from Anaheim to LA. And so let me inter- well, intervene real quick with saying that this is the beginning of the blessing that I've recognized since. In the worst moment of my life, okay, and, and which I felt. Back then, not knowing anything about cancer, I thought brain cancer there was no cure. I immediately thought, oh, my God, there's nothing they can do for my son. Yeah. And so I called my dad crying, telling him um, what was going on. And then I called my partner, who's 
one of my best friends told him, hey, I'm not coming in. I'll let you know. So the hospital is in the same area I work. That's blessing number one. Okay. The second blessing is the next morning that, okay, the oncologist came in and said that the she couldn't tell if it was cancer or not. They have to test and they have to do surgery, remove what they can. But she can tell off the imaging that it is not the one cancer that is incurable. Wow. So right there, I was like, okay, what do we got to do? Yeah. But to me, I was, I was already thinking that in my mind back then, how much time do I have with my son? Mm. You know, and... It's a, I, I can't put this into words how helpless that feeling is that I'm looking at my nine-year-old son, about to be 10 at that point in a f- two, three weeks, and thinking to myself, what did I do wrong? How did I do this to him? And I remember thinking, I can't fix this. And that first night we were there when we got airlifted and we were there, they were allowing visitors I remember that night, everybody came in, people were crying, and it was very somber. It felt like a funeral. And and I told myself, this isn't how it's going to be. you know. And, and I told his mom, I said, look, from now on, um, you tell your family and your people, and I'm going to tell mine, nobody's allowed to be crying in here anymore. That he's not, he's going to pick up on that. And I'm not going to allow my son to sit here and watch us all crying what's he gonna think yeah you know and and so when i got the news the next day that it wasn't that one incurable tumor i was like all right game on let's fight that was that was the worst i felt through all of it um even so when you make that conscious decision okay i'm done i'm not letting this take over me everything else after that is is manageable, yeah. I believe. And and I'm not saying it's hard to say because we know families who have experienced the worst with, with pediatric cancers. So everybody's gone through something different. Nobody's worse or better or I don't like to compare. Yeah, it's just different it's from just, person to right. person. But for me, I felt that my main goal was to Show my son that I'm always going to be there and I'm always going to make him laugh and uplift his spirits and allow him to feel bad when he feels bad, but still be there to make sure that he's in the fight. And he's done. I mean, he's teaching me at such. Okay, he's 14 now. And anybody who spent any amount of time with them will tell you. He doesn't complain. Hmm. He's had moments of breakdowns, which is, I mean, you know, you, reasonable you and yeah, yeah. He he deserves to break down every day if he needed to. Yeah. But he doesn't complain, Casey. He he, if we if we tell him, hey, you got to do this, okay, you got to do that, okay, you know, and and he's got his own good um, faith with God. He's he's read a children's Bible on his own. I don't force him. And and, yeah. and this is 
he started doing these things before I found my relationship with Jesus. Um, we encourage it, but we never forced him. You have to go to here. You have to do this. You yeah. have to do that. The only thing that's keeping him from going to church now is the pandemic. You know, and it's just even before the pandemic, we didn't like taking him around too many people because his immune system is weakened. Yeah. So even before the pandemic, we were real cautious with them. But um, yeah, that initial that initial part of it, um, that was the worst I've I've ever felt um, as far as dealing with all of this. Um, Cause I I was just so ignorant, and and you know you feel like you're alone, you know, and and little by little, um, his mom's real good at researching things. She's an RN. Um, when she gets her mind set on something, she's gonna do it. And she started researching Facebook groups, and we found a group specific to our cancer. <clears throat> and this was after we found out that it was this type of cancer. But there was a bunch of stuff that that lined up for us. Um, so that tumor, it sat on his cerebellum. That's why he was throwing up. And what it did was it blocked the ventricles in his brain, and it created a lot of pressure within his skull and a lot of fluid backup. And so one of the things that they tell you is post-surgery um, – they need to see a certain amount of fluid drain out. Otherwise, he was, he's going to require a shunt. And a shunt is basically a tube in the head that drains the fluid in your brain internally. But what the shunt does is it decreases the survivor, survivor rate. So while we were in ICU after his first surgery, um, we're basically watching this bag drain his brain fluid praying that it gets to a certain level. I can't remember how many days, but it was around three or four days that we're just sitting there, like, just watching it. Watching like, a drain. Yeah, just hoping that he's <clears throat> going to be okay. Plus, you know, he's out of it. <clears throat> we had never seen him like this before. He just had brain surgery, and he's uncomfortable, and he's in pain. And so that was the fact that he didn't require the shunt was the next blessing for us and and then just the team we got there the fact that we're in my division so my co-workers were constantly checking on me <clears throat> my parents knew the area they grew up there um children's hospital is probably the best hospital for this stuff on this side uh you know of our country everything just started lining up um you know my my son's mom and I, any differences we had in the past, now we're staying in the same hospital room, yeah. you know, helping each other out. My girlfriend's pitching in. My daughter's mom, who whatever issues we had, out the window, and she's taking care of my daughter and understanding why I have to focus here. Um, everything just kind of came together, man. It, it, it's It's incredible what hardship tends to do. Yeah. To, to humans, to to anybody, right? It, it it shifts our our way of thinking, and it puts things into perspective. What's important? Yeah, and it categorizes everything. It organizes us. Um, you know, throughout the 
throughout the Bible, we see struggle, hardship, agony. We see all that. We see stories of this. And we see that the outcome, you know, and, and the, the scriptures are so right and, and so just spot on that with the enemy meant for harm and for evil, God will turn it around for good. Right. And, you know, I'm hearing your story right now. I have this, this, this place in my heart when it comes to kids, man, that as a parent, you know, I, we didn't, we didn't endure half of what you've, the challenges that you've had. Um, my, my, my oldest daughter, Samantha, she had a really bad case of asthma from birth. And so we were in the hospital every week, twice, three, four times a week. And I remember putting, uh, holding her hands down and putting tubes, uh, the doctors putting tubes in her nose and she's crying and looking at me and doesn't understand why her father is holding her down. Right. You know, uh, those moments, man, uh, it, 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 you could only wish as a dad to take that infirmity, that sickness, let me have it and let her go kind of thing. Yeah. Free her from this. I'll take it. Right. And, and then, but you can't. And you got to uh, readjust lifestyle yeah and and so that's where um i had tried to um find god in my life prior to this and at that point i i tried to not ask why why him you know everybody loves their child and and says oh they're they're this and that but anthony he truly is one of the most innocent kids. One small example, we went to Chuck E. Cheese, him and I, before all this. And um, it was like at noon on like a Wednesday. And, and it was just him and I. And, and he was probably like five or six. And um, we had just finished playing skee-ball. And I look over and there's like six tickets hanging out of a machine and nobody's around. I go, hey, buddy, go get those tickets. He goes, looks at me, goes, those aren't mine. And <laughs> he checked me, bro. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, but that's who he is. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's older now. He's still innocent. But, but back then when he first was diagnosed, I mean, if I can trust him to do things yeah. and, and I can give him a phone and trust that he's not going to be looking at things he's not supposed to. Like he's just really an innocent kid, you know, yeah. and, and it was so much to the point where I was worried about how innocent he was when he got to junior high and higher because those kids tend to get picked on if you're too innocent, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, I was in my head, I was always think like I'm gonna have to toughen this kid up a little bit because I don't want him to get picked on when he's older. Yeah, but that's not a bad thing to be innocent, you know. And and to this, you know, he's been fighting since he was nine. Um, he's 14 now, but he still likes cartoons. He still plays his video games and builds his Legos. And I'm like, cool. I, that's I want him to stay like that's that. That's so cool, you know? man. I, I don't. I don't care if you know. At 14, I was different. You yeah. know, 
I don't need him to be because look at all the mistakes I ended up making. Yeah. That's not my parents' fault. I'm saying just mentally where I was at. Yeah. I wanted to be cool and I wanted to listen to this music and do this and do that. I like now. I love now that he's just he's into what he's into and he don't care. Yeah. You know, and and um, yeah. So the after that first part, that's probably the most. That and then the, the second, because he's had two separate fights. Um, but the thing about the second fight, when we found out he relapsed, um, the hard part was telling him. Because at that point, he was going through rehab, and he was starting to get strong again. And um, we were trying to prepare him for, for his first baseball team. And it just it started all over again. And this was at the start of the pandemic. Um, we found out May 5th of 2020 that, that he had relapsed. And um, that, that, the, everything we had been through allowed us to stay positive, you know. And, and he's got a huge following on, on Instagram. His Instagram is at prayers for AJ. And that's how Ed found us, I believe. Okay. Um, and, and that's where Ed reached out to my page, which, which is dad's in the fight. Um, and, and it isn't like, to me, it isn't about the fight of cancer. It's dad's couldn't get overlooked. And I experienced that the first fight of AJ's first cancer fight is I would continue to work patrol and I would work at night and I would go from my shift to the hospital and back and forth. Um, and I'd get there some days with no sleep. And I'd be sitting there and doctors and nurses would come in and say, okay, mom, this is what's going on. And I'd be like, I'm sitting right here. Dad's here too. Like, yeah. you know, and, and they don't know they're doing it. it yeah. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying that, you know, and I've posted this on stuff, like be aware that there's two people. If there's two people there, speak to both of them yeah. because it wasn't easy for me to leave whatever stress and drama I had at work. And then come here now praying for my son's life, you know, and I want to be included. And there'd be other things that I just noticed more that dads didn't always get the full credit. So when I started the page, the idea was to highlight other dads. And and I, that's what I was doing. If you look at the very beginning, most of my posts in the beginning are about other dads um, giving their stories. And I got away from that when AJ relapsed and just used it to update AJ. Um, and, and I had sprinkled in one or two here. But uh, when the pandemic started and AJ relapsed and everything at work was going on post-George Floyd and all the riots and stuff. And so I was kind of stuck in limbo, um, kind of a purgatory where I couldn't be in the hospital room at the same time as his mom. She spent the majority of time there um because of covid restrictions i didn't want to leave the hospital and miss something they needed yeah. so i couldn't be with my daughter and then i couldn't be at work because i didn't want to expose myself possibly to covid and bring it back to him and i spent most of that year in the cafeteria or in my car and it was hard and the hardest times that he went through most of them his mom was there and I'd have to find out through text and things going on with my daughter. I relied on my girlfriend to help me out when her mom was at work 
my parents, my brother, my sister. Um, but I just felt like I was removed from everything. Everything important in my life, I was removed from. And one day, in, I was actually with my son, the chaplain came in. And usually when people come in, I'd be like, ah, here we go. Like, yeah. It didn't matter who chaplain or nurse or whatever. Just like, let's get it done so we can be, you know, have our time. Because at that time, I was only getting a couple hours in the room with them. Yeah. You know, and, and he had had a seizure and other things go wrong with the new chemo that I couldn't be there for. Um, but this time, something told me, listen, listen to this man. And he and I spoke on religion. And and I had been praying for my son, and, and but I hadn't been reading the Bible um, to this point. I hadn't, I hadn't been doing things that I do now. And he asked me, he goes, do you have a Bible? Do you need one? And I said, yes, I do. But I would have told him no before. But this instant, this day, this man had my attention. And I didn't know where it was coming from. I still have that Bible with me. And that's the Bible I use. And I have notes and I've had to tape pages back on it. And, you know, <laughs> notes good are Bible. sticking out. And it's not the Bible I would have went and bought in a store. Yeah. But that's the Bible that woke me up. Yeah. And so I'm not going to get rid of that Bible. And I want another Bible that has more room for notes. <clears throat> but that Bible is staying with me. Yeah. And that was the moment that I... I was like, okay, I've come to you before, and I know I've been when you get me, you give me the help I need, I disappear on you. I'm not doing that no more. And I'm not perfect, man. I make all my mistakes daily. You know, I I'm conscious of some things, whether it be a guy cuts me off or I read something online that upsets me, whether it be political or other, and I have to control myself. You know, uh, one of my friends on Instagram checked me the other day about calling Kamala Harris a hyena, you know? <laughs> and she yeah, says, yeah. look, your political view is yours, but you should yeah, probably yeah. respect, yeah. be respect more respectful if you're going to follow Jesus and post yeah. that. And I said, at first I was like kind of defensive. Yeah. And then I thought about it and I, and, and I messaged her back. And I said, you know what? You're right. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. And I should choose my words more carefully. Yeah. And you know, I, and, and I'm, man, well, that just convicted me. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I'm very um, in political circles. Yeah, uh, I'm constantly in political yeah, circles. I, I listen to your podcast too. So yeah, and I'm very like that. I'm you know because I think I think there's a diplomatic way of I guess channeling our voicing our, our voicing our dis yeah. yeah our disagreements. Yes, in in, in a diplomatic way. It's very difficult to do that, and not to excuse our behavior, but it's very difficult when you see um, people that are running, you know, these offices, and they're supposed to be for the people, and, and you see them deliberately destroying the fiber of right. Wow, our, our country. So it's it, it's it's yeah, it's a, it's a I get it. Yeah. Um, but man, thank you for. Uh, Man, that well, just like ministered. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't know her personally, but she has, um, I believe it's her nephew um, that is currently fighting. And I know that little boy's parents. Okay. 
And so at first I'm like, who is this person checking me? Yeah. yeah. And then that pride, that ego steps in, right? Mm-hmm. I've been listening because it's it's easier for me. So I drive so much to listen to books online mm-hmm. as opposed to reading. So I've been listening to the Beta Satan, and in there he he talks about getting offended mm-hmm. and how we deal with that. Oh, you 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 got yeah. the Beta Satan, yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But when you recommended it <laughs> yes, to yes, Ed yes. and I, okay. And and so I'm like on chapter 14, but. Isn't that an awesome book, man? But that happened uh, to, I happened to listen to him speaking about that at the same time this person offended me. Okay. (laughs) And so I thought about it all morning. Like, and I'm like, why am I thinking about this? This Instagram post. Like, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. (laughs) But I felt compelled that I needed to say, you're right. Yeah. I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. And I apologize for offending you. Yeah. And it was all good. Yeah. You know? It's and an incredible book, by the way. It really is. And and I recommend it to my girlfriend. And, and it's just funny. Like, I, I know people in my life that they're probably like, is he really yeah. Christian? Like, Because <laughs> I make my mistakes and I yeah. hate, I'll, I'll get mad at my girlfriend or my child, my, my daughter or my son, or and I'll get mad or whatever. And then I have to like, oh, hey, well, think yeah. about it. And so you don't want to come off hypocritical. Yeah. And and it's it's a work in progress, man. Yeah. It, it it really is. I, you know, I've been in the Lord. You, know, you asked me earlier, you know, when did I get born again in, in the shoe program? And all, it's in the 90s. Yeah. You know, that's a long time in the Lord. And then I still have my issue. I mean, I mean just right now, you know, um, that just really like, hey, Casey, you need to like, because I I could get worked up really quick, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I can believe it with you after <laughs> your book. <laughs> you know, when I see that, when I see the injustice, when I see the the foul, the foulness of of some individuals, you, you get worked up really quick. Um, but then you know we we are also got to remind ourselves that we're believers, we're we're Christ followers. Yeah, and there's a way that we need to conduct ourselves. Um, yeah, you. You absolutely disagree with uh, some of the things that are being done, and some of, and disagree absolutely with those individuals. Um, but then there's a fine line and a balance that needs to take place in how we we represent Christ as ambassadors. And we're talking about love is blind, right? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, it's kind of a spoiler alert if you watch the show, but this is like in the earlier episodes, just after they leave those pods. And if you don't know the show, it's a bunch of people. They go into these rooms to talk to somebody they're trying to marry, uh, but they don't see the person until after um, they decide that they like each other. Well, the girl, the um, is her name Shayna, the blonde girl? Yeah. And she's with the, the construction worker. I can't remember his name. Well, but the, for an example of, what people would judge us on is she's raised as a Christian yeah. and he's an atheist. Yeah. Um, and she's trying to get past that according to her. But when he goes to visit her family, to me, they weren't very Christian in how they welcomed him. And as one thing I've learned um, listening to Jack Hibbs is that when we do things like that, the rest of the world is going to be like, see, yeah. this is Christianity right I here. I told you so. Yes, this <laughs> is how they are. Yeah. And 
you know, whether she ended up with this guy or not, my girlfriend and I were like, they're being kind of rude to him. Yeah. You know, the brothers were asking him questions kind of tough. And, you know, the mom was kind of like standoffish with them. And, and again, she didn't have to end up with the dude, but they could have been a little bit more welcoming. And, and that's what, like you said, is a work in progress, but that's where I'm trying to like, okay, if I'm going to post this, is this going to really be along the lines of what I'm preaching or what I'm telling people? So a lot of times I know a lot of people are still like, yeah, that's still Rick. Like, you know, I don't know how many times and then you probably have done the same thing. You're about to, you, you have already written the post. All you got to do is press send. And it's like the Holy spirit goes, uh, no, you're not doing that. Yeah. It's your PR rep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Right. And, and then you go, Oh man. Yeah. And you so. just, you know, you don't. <laughs> I, I've I've I posted more political stuff than I I I want, just because of all the stuff that's upset me. Yeah. Um. And a lot of that upset uh, feeling comes because I'm worried for my kids. Yeah, their future. Yes, and I don't want my daughter or my son being taught about sex changes, and that's not the school's place to teach my kids. That's right. You know. That is for me and their mothers to go over this topic with them. Yep. And whatever they decide when they're of age, I'm going to love my kids no matter what. Yeah. I'm not saying don't be this or don't be that. It's wrong. I'm just saying it's not for you to tell my kids what they should believe. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's little things like that or the government controlling you know what's going on in Canada, yeah. um, controlling funds. And if you believe this way, then you're going to get cut off from society. like, And, and I think we've gotten to, to a place right now, uh, most recently, uh, right up leading up to the Super Bowl, when we saw the, the, the outright hypocrisy, yeah. you know, uh, where you could put in 70,000-plus people. Yeah. And so long as you're a celebrity, you could pretty much do whatever you want. That's always been the case. Yeah. But you're the, the, the little people you don't have our, you know, yeah. Well, keep pocket in mind, books. I patrolled Hollywood for six years and celebrities get away with a lot. Yeah. And, and it's not because all oh, their celebrity, I'm me. The street cop is letting them go. Yeah. It's just, I mean, just for instance, um, Movie premieres, uh, they'll block every street they have to off yeah. just for a movie premiere, and it's the money. It's know? the money, and 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 citizens that actually live in these areas can't even get to the to their. You know, but they're yelling at us, yeah, because we're the ones standing yes. there blocking the. Yeah, uh, again, you're the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so it, it, it's it's just a bunch of um, things like that, like you know, a certain someone saying to hold your breath. Oh, I yeah. have my breath uh, for this picture. Yeah. So it's all good. I mean, it, it, it just. <laughs> it's, it's a slap in the face to it us. It really is. You know, because they're making us do one thing and they're, oh, I did it, but it's okay because of this. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I look at my daughter who goes to school and runs through recess with the mask on. And, and at lunch, they can take them off to eat. You know, I heard a doctor on a podcast the other day say, hey, COVID doesn't go on lunch break. If there's COVID. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, even in the hospital at Children's, yeah, um, they they have signs on the tables only one per table. 
but all the staff that eats in there, they pull the tables together. Yep. So it's only for the parents that you're supposed to be helping <laughs> that are getting penalized one parent at a time, you know, no visitors, things like that, that I was sitting there for that first year of the pandemic. I was witnessing all the hypocrisy while my son was upstairs fighting for his life and his yeah. mom was up there stuck. And when we would switch, they would make us go to the front lobby. Wow. Which is like five to 10 minutes. One of the times the elevator shut down. So my son was up there by himself for 20, 30 minutes. And when she got up there, he was screaming. Oh man. And it's like, how is this okay? Yeah. But when they were protesting for BLM, mm -hmm. they're talking about only one parent, only so many people, but they were shoulder to shoulder on sunset as a staff. Yep. Which you want to protest? Fine. Go for it. But not while my son or other kids are supposed to be taken care of. That's where I was starting to get upset. We're like, my son just had a seizure and you're saying I can't have this many people in his room, but you're standing here in a crowd of people shoulder to shoulder on the street. Hundreds. Hundreds. And and I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. It, they, it, it didn't make sense from the gate. It didn't make sense. Yeah. And and the only thing was that we just didn't know. And yeah. and, and, and the beginning, you know, I get it. You know, yeah. we, we all of us didn't know. I was willing to do my part. I Absolutely. stood inside. I didn't go places. Absolutely. You know, and then and then my son's relapse kind of changed things, but I was still willing to do my part. Yeah. But now you're starting to play with people's livelihoods. Yeah. Excuse me. And it just to a point where, okay, if we know the science says things aren't effective, why are we still forcing this? Yeah. You know, but all this played a part with my trust in Jesus. Yeah. You know, and from my son's two fights to my relationships, to my work, um, to I walk into that hospital and from the lobby to the cafeteria to my to where we go because now so thankfully thank god aj is in remission again his cancer is thank gone god, he's over the last four plus years he's fought off five total tumors two brain three down the spine he's gone through countless mris and he's had two brain surgeries he's had a bunch of other procedures um bunch of chemo, radiation, stem cell transplant. He's done a lot for his age. But all of that damages kidneys. So now what we go to the hospital for is dialysis. Um, and, and he still has other side effects. Like he still throws up every other day, you know. Yeah. Um, weight issues. His, his height is probably stunted. Other growth issues. But he's happy kid, man. Thank God, man. You know. I have no issues getting him to laugh. I worried about PTSD for him and he displayed it a little bit during stem cell because the chemo during stem cell was the worst one he's ever taken. And it got to the point where when nurses or doctors would walk in, he would start to cry just oh, on man. site, you know, and, and luckily he's gotten past that. And I mean, he's a jokester now, him and I, I mean, we just, you know, the photoshops i'll put his face on something he'll put my face <laughs> on something and and it, we're all about jokes him and i and um so all this stuff 
is to me just prepared us. And I tell them all the time, nothing in life you do from here on out is going to be harder than what you've been through Yeah. for you personally. Mm. You know, but everything I ever did, getting in trouble, playing sports, getting yelled at, doing the military, combat, police work, this has all prepped me for this moment. Yeah. And now the goal is to help other dads and, and I mean, people in general, but focus on dads um, and their time of need because I think I've been through a lot of stuff that I can empathize with another dad. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of stuff I haven't been through. But when I arrest somebody, I know what it's like to go in a police car in the back and maybe not for something as serious as what you, you know, got arrested for. But I know what that feeling is like. I know what it's like to get in a fight. I know what it's like to almost die. I know what it's like to be in a position to where I had to pull my trigger. I know what it's like to have relationship issues, custody issues, baby mama issues, um, hospital issues, worry about your child. I look at it like, okay, why is God calling me? Why is he speaking to me so much? Whereas before I didn't feel like he was. Yeah. And I, I know now, and, and I went back to school. Um, I go to Regent University Online, which is a Christian school. And I'm studying biblical studies uh, and English. So to improve my writing. Um, all of this is for a reason to where now I have a goal of one day maybe being a counselor for a church or starting something with a church where I can help other dads yeah. um, or even at the, at the department. I mean, so many people go through things within that department that maybe I can help them. And I don't care about pay or it's not about that. It's yeah. about doing something that I feel like this is my purpose now, you know? And again, I'm not perfect here. I still go through stuff or I still make my mistakes. I'm not claiming to be perfect. I'm learning about Jesus every day. It's a point now to where I wake up. I have to receive the word in one way or another, whether it's YouTube on Jack Hibbs or his real life app or um, reading the Bible. Every single day, I have to start with that. And it helps me to, okay, listen to that message for that day. And then try to apply it. And again, sometimes I mess up. Yeah. Um, but that's where my heart is at. When I talk to the kids, I know I I probably talk to them till we're like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of people in my life, I'm gonna share it. Yeah. And if I feel like you don't want to hear it, I'll back off. Yeah. But this isn't something that's a phase for me anymore. The I'm lifestyle. Trying, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying to improve at it. And eventually one day I want to live it day in, day out as my career, as my job. And it's not going to be a job because this is what I want to do. And if I can help other people, you know, if I post something and someone, just one person messages saying, hey, man, this really hit home. Then that's what I'm supposed to do. And I never thought like this before. Wow, man. I, I never did. And I can only like, like you, you know, I don't want to give too much. I want people to go buy this book, the shot caller, people that follow me, that listen to me, trust me, you will not regret it. But you didn't know about Jesus prior to no. that stint in the shoe. Right. Nope. And all of a sudden 
he's there. I don't know what that is, man. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, it's just, it's not. No, it is not. It's, it's, um, it's an encounter with Christ. And I think it, it, you know, if you're listening to us right now, it, you're going to encounter Christ differently. Um, some, sometimes it's very, in a very dramatic fashion. Uh, sometimes it's just a whisper. Sometimes, you know, we, we go through things and it's so obvious that he's there with us. And then we have to respond to that. I like what, what my business partner said one time. And, and this has stuck with me for ever since he said it. He said, everybody has an appointment with Christ, whether you like it or not. Everyone will have an appointment with Jesus, whether you like it or not. It's how you have prepared for that appointment. And man, that, that just like. And you don't want to be late. And you don't want to be late to that <laughs> one, man. Yeah. Oh, you won't be late to that one. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm saying late and. It, it, yes, know. in the preparation. Right. Or, and, or the lack of. And that's know. what I'm realizing is um, things I'm learning about sin and, and uh, you know, things like worrying. I didn't know about that before. And, and I always thought to myself, well, I live a good life as far as trying to be a good person. So that's enough, yeah. you know, and you learn the, the deeper you get in the Bible, it's not enough to just be a good person. No. And that's cool. You know, I'm not going to sit here. Like I said, I, I know guys and, and girls that believe some don't to each his own. But for me, I have a reason to be thankful to Jesus because my son is still here, you know, and I've seen him work. I, I've, I've heard him talk to me to do things that I never would have done. And I don't have to explain that to anybody. Yeah. I don't have to convince somebody because he's convinced me. Yeah. You know, now I will share that and I will talk to people about it and encourage them. But what I went through, what you went through, we don't have to convince anybody. No, it's not. It's not about that. The you evidence know? is in the pudding. That changed it. life. And I read your story and I'm like, wow, if Jesus can do this for this man right here. How can people deny that? You know. And yours isn't, you can look back and find the evidence that you did what you say you did. Yeah. And what happened to you is the evidence in front of me. Yeah. You're a father, a business owner. What I hear you speak about on your podcast, you care about the community, about the nation. You're telling me you're that way when you were 16, 17? No. You know? And, and just for me, yeah, I cared about being a cop and a father and this and that. But it's different than it was two, four years ago. Yeah, I say two because that's when I really, really was like, okay, I can't keep leaving you after you help me yeah. because I know that's what I was doing. Hey, God, I need your help. Thanks. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. You know, I can't keep doing that no more. And I don't want to keep doing that. I like what I'm learning. I like everything about the Bible and Jesus. And I like listening to a Jack Hibbs and, and other pastors, Raul yeah. Reese and 
you know, people recommend, I'll go listen. I'll, I'll, that's what's great about the internet. As many bad yeah. things as there can be. There's some good stuff in there. You can find anything on YouTube. Yeah. And there are some good messages on YouTube where, you know, instead of listening to music, yeah. I just throw it on, on, a, on, I'll put headphones on or while I'm working around the house or driving, that's, that's what I listen to, you know? And, and again, everybody has their own way. Yeah. I'm not telling you to do this every day or, or telling anybody to do this every day. That's for me. Yeah. And for me, I have to stay on top of it because, um, I believe I, within myself, I'm afraid of saying, okay, thanks again, Jesus. I appreciate it, but I'm gonna go back to doing my own thing. Yeah. I don't want to do that again. You know, and that's awesome, man. Listen, as as we um land the the plane here, um, I want to I want you to share out how how do we? Because I think we need to really support what you're doing. Uh, I, and there's some things here that that we want to promote. Uh, one, how do we follow you? Um, I want to hear how how we follow you. Um, how do we donate blood? Where do we do that? And um, and then, then we'll save uh, you know, the, uh, the the dragonfly wood uh, design or underscore design. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> that's some really cool stuff that you could support uh, uh, your family w- uh, with as well. But um, this uh, this cancer organization that's very dear to you. Yes. Um, how do we how do we support that? Yeah, there's several of them, but this one since the so I told you in the beginning I felt. His mom and I, AJ's mom and I, um, we felt alone. And despite all the friends and family, um, that first part of it, you feel like you're helpless. Well, this cancer organization, um, the Jesse Reese Foundation, also now is known as Team Negu, um, which is Never Ever Give Up. Um, it was started by Jesse Reese, who was an 11-year-old um, who gained her wings from cancer and her to sum it up is her story is she left the hospital after treatment asked her dad how come those other kids can't go home and he said well they have a different cancer they have different treatment she felt bad because at that time you didn't have your ipads and all this stuff right so she felt bad that those kids were stuck bored she went home and started bagging her toys to give to the kids so that they can play with. And um, sorry, th- this this story, even when I think about it, 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 it touches me, my heart, man. She started what's called joy jars. And um, basically, people donate. And this organization now is pretty big. They have athletes and, and stuff that... Um, represent the organization but they send these jars filled with a bunch of little toys and games um they do other things um they they've provided aj with tickets to games and you know things like that and um they send them everywhere in the world and so they need funding to continue to do this because when we would first receive this stuff to me i had no idea about these organizations and to somebody that I didn't know just sent him, it was like, wow, like, well, people care. 
And and then they invited us to this thing um, called Area Codes, which was a bunch of high school baseball players, like all-star baseball players from around the country, go to Long Beach and play and work out. And we were invited with other cancer families. And AJ got to hit hit balls with some of the athletes. And, yeah, that's so cool. You know, other, other kids um, that were there were playing uh, Fortnite. They were playing games on, on video games with the athletes. And these kids were real cool kids, man. I, I remember my age or uh, being in high school, I wouldn't have known how to be around cancer kids. You yeah. know what I mean? But these kids are advanced. More kids I've seen at that age are, are far more advanced than I was at that age as far as being sympathetic to, to kids in need. Yeah. I wouldn't have known what to do. But so Negu, they do this type of stuff. And they've made AJ an, an ambassador. Um, but they're, they're awesome for the cancer community and, and just bringing joy and they, they do things to raise money all the time and they give back so much. So that's what, um, team Negu or the Jesse Reese foundation, all because of one wonderful little girl in her time of need wanted to help other kids that she didn't know. That's incredible. And it's just blown up. And then the 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 to become a blood donor to the children's hospital. How do how do we go about that? Yeah, that that's pretty simple. Um, so when AJ was going through stem cell, he needed platelets, and um, we had to wait because there was a shortage. And I had no idea that there could even be a shortage on this stuff, right? You yeah. just think it's there, yeah. But you have to go in and donate. You can go to Red Cross and, and things like that, too. But when you go to a hospital, and if you're not in the L.A. area, you can go to Chalk. You can go to, I mean, if you're listening to other states, any hospital near you and just donate. Got it. Any blood, you just, um, most people have their website where you, like Children's L.A., you can schedule your appointment online. You don't even need a call. You can, and they'll answer all your questions. But they have, it's so easy. That's how I do it. Um and after your first one, they send you reminder notices that, hey, your next one is coming up. So I do it now every two months. Okay. For blood, that's you can't do it any more than that. Okay. It's every two months. Um, platelets, I believe you can do it every two weeks. But my veins don't show enough, so I can't give because that's a longer process. Okay. Um, it's also needed just as much as blood. But yeah, your veins have to show pretty good. Otherwise... Some I think they can collapse or something can happen to where it's, it, it won't be very good for you. Okay. Or it won't feel good. Um, but, but like my brother, he does platelets. My uncle does platelets. Um, but our whole family now is like a regular there. Like you go to CHLA, if you do a direct donor for a child, they already know my son. They know us. I see people there and, and you know, it's it's just cool jokes, having a good time. But the one thing I want to stress is because a lot of people like to donate for AJ. AJ still requires blood transfusions, but he's in a good position right now. And yes, we still have a road ahead of us. But by the grace of God, we're on the right side of our fight. Um, but other kids need it. So just go and donate. It doesn't have to be Children's LA. It could be St. Jude, City of Hope. There's a shortage everywhere. Mm. Um, and for AJ's birthday, this past one in December, 
Um, so his mom had an idea. Let's do a blood drive there. So they usually they're usually not open on Sundays, but they opened um, up for everybody that follows us that wanted to donate that Saturday and Sunday. And so we had booked the whole weekend getting people to donate. Um, but yeah, it's so it's so easy. Just go to like I just the first time I did it, I Googled uh, CHLA blood donor and it pops right up. OK. Or they give you the number. They answer. You can talk to somebody live. Um, but it doesn't. Again, you don't have to do a direct donation for my son. Just do it in the Still general. Donate. It'll get because it has a lifespan. Okay. So even if you did do it for my son, but he didn't require it, it gets sent to somebody else that needs it. Got if it's it. nearing its its shelf life. Yeah. Um, so just go give to these kids. Uh, and I know so many kids now and I see so many families that, you know, when they need, I feel that. Yeah. Like, and I've seen, we, we just had a kid need um, white blood cells, which is a different process. It's like a three-day process, but they need that too. And I tell people, if you can't do it, no worries. You know, when I post about it, you don't have to do it. I get it. Some people have conditions and, and not able to. Yeah. Um, but you can post it. Yeah. Maybe one person that follows you does it. And it becomes a ripple effect. And that's it. That's yeah. all. That's all we're asking, you know, share it. Do it if you can. What's your uh, Instagram handle so we could uh, get guys uh, so, uh, on board? Yeah, mine is um, at dads underscore in. Okay, dad's in the fight, underscore between each word. Got it. So, yeah, it's 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 a public page. Um, that's where I post pretty much anything concerning Anthony and the hospital and, and other stuff. And then eventually I'm going to get back into highlighting dads, okay. um, focusing just – and it's not much. It's a post, you know, but people need to know that because we got a bad beat, man. I mean, and yeah. it's not like it's not deserved in some cases, but – People like to think dads don't really take part yeah. in a lot of this. Um, over the last four years, I, I think I've maybe missed four appointments of my sons. Wow. You know, and that's still trying to do everything with my daughter. And I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I'm just saying we're there. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just me. I know people in tougher situations that manage it. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of dads that need recognition that don't get it. I agree. Big time. And uh, the last one is your girlfriend's woodworking business. And you could follow her at dragonflywood underscore design. And go check it out. You know, every one of you guys that Angelinos, and, and I, I know there's so many of you that listen across America. I want to say thank you so much. And the other thing is, please, please do your part and donate blood to your local hospitals Make sure that you, you become not just, and like what Ricky said, maybe you're that one person that, you know, has a, a great following. Putting these things, you know, shedding a light on them, posting about them, this also helps. So I want to thank you, Ricky, so much, man, for, for being here, for your story, for sharing, for being transparent with your story, man. Uh, dude. Thank you for being a good dad, dude. I, I think we need so many um, more men to step up and really take that responsibility as dads. We, we, we do matter. And sometimes the reality is we're overlooked. 
but dads are awesome. God designed, and we have an incredible responsibility to lead family, to lead our children, and to and to make an impact in in society. And you're doing that, brother man. Um, and I'm so. Can I say something real quick? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I got lucky. I had a dad that did everything with us and for us, and he wasn't perfect. But I think for me, um, I had the perfect example of how to be a father. But also, I'm 42, and when I'm around my dad today, I feel like nothing can touch me. I'm safe. And I think that's the goal, to make your kids feel safe, no matter if you get mad at them, if you scold them, or, or whatever. At the end of the day, they know my dad is there, and he's going to take care of me. And we can't, I mean, obviously, protect from everything in the world. Yeah. But my dad's given me the feeling that he can protect me from everything in the world. Yeah. And to me, that matters most. And my mom, too. You know, Carolina is the one who's done a lot of the care for AJ. Well, there's two reasons. She's an RN, but above all, she's mom. Yeah. And we all know that when you're sick or not feeling good, Nobody makes you feel better than mom. Like mom. So you know your role. Yeah. Embrace it. But I had the perfect example of that. And my grandpa as well. Both hardworking men were there. I have uncles who devoted their lives to their kids. So I got lucky that I had so many examples, but above all, the one which is my dad. And I know not everybody is lucky to have that or blessed to have that. Man, well, you, you're definitely blessed, man, to to have a a hero for a dad. I want to thank you, man. Uh, you know, every time I have law enforcement here, it, it just um, thank you for what you do for community, for what you do in your families. And I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, as much noise as I can to educate. Uh, the public at large, that we need to support you guys and we need to be respectful to you guys. It's not an easy job. Um, but dude, dudes like you, man, I come across and I'm so, so grateful for your lives and for what you do. Man, my, my hat's off to you, dude, and to your, your whole entire department. You guys do an excellent job in Los Angeles and I know that we cannot allow, just like in anything, in any organization, so long as there's humans, there's going to be mistakes. So long as there's humans, there's going to be some bad apples. But that doesn't mean that the entire tree is filled with that. And um, the LAPD is an outstanding organization that has done so much more good than bad. And um, I thank you guys. Thank you so much, man, for your service. Uh, in, in, in the military, in your service here in Los Angeles, man. I love you guys, and I love you, brother, man. Thank you so much for it. Thank you, bro. And I just, we just met, but, man, you got a friend for life. Sorry to say it, bro. And thank, <laughs> thanks, Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go, Ed. <laughs> so, oh, real quick, um, yeah, yeah. going back to my girlfriend's Instagram, yeah. dragonflywood underscore design. Guys, it's faster than you think. Mother's Day is coming up. You gotta, if you want something different, look at her page. 
She makes some cool stuff, and it's all hand-carved, hand-cut. Everything's done by hand there, and it's all her. I help a little bit, but she's she's the handy one in the, in the relationship. <laughs> but check out her page, um, you know, and, and uh, we appreciate the support. And Casey, thanks for having me on. Uh, this is a cool experience, man. I, I was I was really excited to do this, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Thank you. Man, and, and, and just so you know, I've been in the sign trade for 23 years. I checked out her page. Dragon uh, at Dragonflywood underscore design. And this is all custom made stuff that she makes. It's all by hand. So it's just a whole different element. And it's really cool stuff. You go check her out and, uh, you know, go purchase some stuff. Like uh, Ricky said, uh, Mother's Day down the street. And then Father's Day is down the street too. So, hey, yeah. uh, um, let's uh, support them in, in, in this uh, thing and, we call life. And the project takes time because it is by hand. Yeah. Um, so give yourself some leeway there. You know, we've had people call a couple of days before whatever the event is. It's like <laughs> just drying time alone. We can't, you know, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she'll try. She tries her hardest. She's a special needs teacher. So okay. um, she does this on the side. Um, they don't they don't give her full time hours. So, you know, um, her, her prices with the price of lumber and everything, they're worth the projects. That's so, right. um you know, she she does everything. She puts care into all her stuff. She cares about each one. She wants, because most of these are gifts. Yeah. She wants. She loves it when the people that receive it are are happy because, yeah. like you said, it's custom made. You're not gonna find the, a lot of these things at Target or yeah. whatever. And everything can be tweaked to what you want. So sports stuff and things like that. I mean, she's done so many things where it was just specific to the client. Yeah. So you're not going to get that at other stores. Yeah, you're not. It, it's it's awesome. Uh, please go and support. And Los Angeles, thank you so much for your attention span, for enjoying these uh, these interviews. Um, if you want to support this podcast, it's very easy. Just go to kcdias.net. On there, you're gonna you're gonna click on the podcast button. That will take you to the support button. You click on that. Gives you three different ways to support this. Uh, podcast and i appreciate whatever help you could do it's fine uh whatever god puts in your heart that's what matters until next time until next time you know i'm gonna say it because i always say it and i'll keep on saying it until there's no more air in my lungs keep jesus first <laughs>